With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Napa know-how. Right now, Mobile One full synthetic motor oil is $29.99 for a five-quart jug. Its advanced formula provides maximum sludge protection, defending your engine like a catcher defends home plate. So get top-notch engine protection with the Mobile One full synthetic five-quart jug for $29.99. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 9-30-18. Blog Talk Radio. In the background, it's spelling out Remit. <laughs> oh man! Oh yeah, that's how you start off. That's how you start off a show. That's how you start off a year. New year, new day. <laughs> what the hell did you think she was saying? Man, I don't know. I didn't give a damn what she said. The only thing that matters is hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that matters. <laughs> like, Myson thought yeah, R-A-M was some kind of word. R-A-M. <laughs> I never even paid attention to that. We get an R-A-M in here. <laughs> but you know what? I lied. That's not the way you start off a year. The way you start off a year is the way you started it off yesterday. What was yesterday? Oh, my birthday. I was going to say, what the hell was it? Ah. That's bad, dude. That's when you know that you've hit fifty. Was when you can't even remember what day your birthday was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> happy birthday! <laughs> Thanks, man. Another, so another trip around the globe. Another, another college football playoff. That was the fun part. My birthday, I was like, uh, bring me some coffee. Then college football started. I was man. Like, oh man, my birthday is great. All I have to say is thank goodness for DVR because I slept through all the games. <laughs> I was so tired from the night before. I fell asleep around 11.30 yesterday, a.m., and I did not wake up until 9.40 p.m. <laughs> this is coming from the insomnia. Like, I don't sleep. I was out cold. Say, I, <laughs> it was, it was, I did uh, do a very nice old man up. New Year's Eve. I felt bad. I was sitting on the couch. It was, uh, I think it was like 11.15, and my wife tapped me on the shoulder. She goes, you realize we're both still sober. And it's eleven fifteen. <laughs> oh, I've never done this yeah. before. Yeah. I've hit, I've hit it, the it, age it, where it now I'm getting you. like, I'm and it's weird. Like I'm getting sober for New Year's Eve. Like oh, like like that's the way getting drunk used to be when I was a kid. Like now I'm sober. Like bro, I'm gonna get so sober for New Year's Eve. We gonna get <laughs> sobered up. We gonna drink so much nothing. 
will be hype. Hey, you you've moved up to the upper echelon of life. <laughs> you, you've hit life that has put on that, its hand. Exactly. You hit the point of life where you are officially um, just an old man. <laughs> You you you're on the verge of being wise. <laughs> Where you hit that Bro, age, and all wait. of a sudden you're really wise. Yeah, you're you're close. Yo, I'm gonna get so sober. I'm gonna I'm gonna have no sex. I'm gonna have no sex. My sex is gonna be so tight. Yes, I thought you was no, already having no sex. <laughs> oh come on! You're having I thought fun. you had already reached that point. I thought after really? so many years of bad marriage, that was kind of automatic. Factually well, incorrect, sir. Hey, so you know what's factually correct? Stay strong. So what is correct is the Rams <laughs> are in the playoffs. There you go. Stay that strong. is what's correct. The Rams are in the playoffs. It is. It's real. It's happening. Uh, after their uh, self-imposed bye week last week, which we're going to talk about, but uh, yeah, they're here. It is. Uh, it's playoff time. It's win or go home. It's. This is when it all matters the most. It's, it's 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 still really surreal to me, you know. It's it's weird to say and to think out loud. Like I said it to myself uh, after the Forty ers game, and I was just just you know after the loss, I'm just kind of like, yeah, they played the backups, but it's not over yet. They have to play next week. It was like, wow, they have to play next week. <laughs> you know, well into the new year, they're gonna have a game, and it, uh, it's 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 a shock, you know, because you get so used to at this point prepping for the draft and looking ahead, trying to see, oh, what what, what do they need to uh, fill a hole in or what's going to be some free agents they can go after? You know, is it time for the coach to get fired? <laughs> you know, are we going to be looking for a new quarterback? The Rams had a quarterback uh, carousal that was, that was uh, really similar to the Browns for a period there where they were going through quarterbacks left and right, you know. So it's, it, this is new territory for us for sure. It's interesting, man. It's one of the the thing that hit me earlier today was just the finality of it, and and the idea that you know for years obviously we've gotten used to being able to deal with losses. Each of us as Rams fans had to figure out how to deal with losses. Yeah. Even this year, in a good year, we still have five losses, right? We still had a bunch of losses, but you can lose games and life's not over. Now you can't lose. You can't. There is no there's no middle ground. There's no silver linings, if, you know, and, and I think that that's what hit me was that, that the, the simplicity of it that we haven't had to deal with uh, for 14 years of knowing that you have to win this game. Like we talk about must win games all the time. This is the first playoff game. This is the first actual one where if you don't win, it's literally over. And, and, yeah. and I think that kind of hit me today for the first time earlier. You know, it's interesting when you mentioned – you can't lose like this is it. One thing that I realized is that the Rams cannot lose starters to injury. <laughs> uh, no. Watching the, the 49ers game, it became ridiculously clear. They they cannot afford to lose anyone in this, this postseason. Uh, they just do not have the depth, which led me to say, you know, the Rams are good enough with their starters to be viewed as a Super Bowl team, uh, but they are not – with their uh, their secondary players. And that, to me, that was a positive because then, you know, you can look at it and say, oh, well, free agency in the draft, that's what they can target is building up their their depth. 
But then you also think about the fact of how many of those starters are headed towards free agency and things like that. So it was just like, wow, they they really are, you know, a really good team, but they could very easily this offseason become a really subpar team if they lose some key pieces. So it's it's an interesting dynamic really uh, going into this offseason. I think it all makes this offseason that much more important um, because of the lack of depth and making sure that certain moves are made. But that was definitely evident watching that 49ers game. What did you think of watching uh, Sean Mayen and Malcolm Brown and, you know, watching these guys? I'll tell you this, my boy Mike Thomas, much love to Mike. <laughs> Mikey T, what up? You killed it with that nice uh, catch. You got blew up, but you made the catch. <laughs> That's all that made move before you got blew up. Yeah, the, the number one thing was injuries, right? It, it was both injuries that were taking place in the game and injuries going uh, uh, along around the NFL, uh, you know, LaShawn yeah. McCoy and other guys. And it just reinforced why the Rams had to sit their key starters. You just, like you said, we're just that thin. And the difference between winning and losing might be, you know, having Jared Goff and Andrew Whitworth and Todd Gurley and all those guys healthy and ready to go. Luckily, I don't know if you saw the injury report. Let me go ahead and put this out there. It's only Tuesday. We're going to try to get another podcast out later this week. Uh, only four names on the Rams side. Farrell Cooper did not practice today. Today was just a walkthrough. So they moved their Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practice schedule up a day since the game's on Saturday instead of Sunday. Right. So today was the contact, the no contact walkthrough. Farrell Cooper, Blake Countess from the big hit that he laid on Goodwin, and then Michael Thomas uh, with his ankle issue. They were all sidelined. None of them participated. Mark Barron was a limited participant based on that Achilles issue that he's been dealing with. So we'll have to see the next two days if they can get to full go for practice, especially for Farrell Cooper. I'd be surprised if he's not a go. Countess and Thomas, as depth guys, they may opt to rest them a week and hope that we win this game and they can come back for the divisional round uh, 100%. But, you know, when you talk about what's the difference between Blake Countess and, you know, to Cody Davis coming off of IR, if you want to slide a cornerback back, maybe they feel like they have the depth. But that's the injury situation. So overall, it's pretty good. But, yeah, that was the biggest takeaway for me from the 49ers game. You had some things from an audition standpoint, you know, guys like Kevin Peterson, Mike Thomas. I was going to say uh, Blake Countess. A couple, a couple guys had good auditions, and those are auditions that are going to matter. I mean, you talk about moving forward in the, in, in, when you start thinking about the roster, we may be able to point to this game and say, look, this was the only game where this guy had meaningful snaps. He did okay, if that's something we can point to for some of those guys. But but overall, yeah. for me, it was just the the sheer the severity of the injuries going on, and it just reinforced the why we had to get a bye weekend for our key guy. You know, it's funny. Um, I thought about this, and let me make sure I say this now before I forget, so we can get it out of the way. But uh, we both, you know, I'm big on saying my bad. I love owning up to when I'm wrong. Uh, we both talked so much shit about Kevin Peterson in the preseason. <laughs> you know when. Well, we were like, you know, who who do they have? You know, we were like, guys like Kevin Peterson? That was an interesting conversation. Uh, but, you know, Kevin Peterson, he didn't have necessarily a bad preseason. It was just that he was Kevin Peterson. He was an easy target. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he really he really shined in his opportunity uh, this past week. And I like the fact that it was against the uh, 49ers suddenly heralded starter Jimmy uh, Garoppolo or as they call him now, Jimmy GQ, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I, I don't love it because to knock Jimmy at all, but 
I love it because it was against their starting unit. It wasn't like they were resting players like the Rams or anything like that. Right. Uh, he went out there against their starting unit, against their starting quarterback, and he played really, really well. Uh, I, and, I mean, the thing that stood out the most to me was the five pass deflections. Like, what? <laughs> five? You know, like the average starting quarter only has about 12 in a season. You had five in one game. Yeah. You know, uh, that was that was really, really impressive to me, just his ball skills, and he played some really sticky coverage. So hats off to him. He made me look stupid. I'm not – you don't have to say it. He made you look stupid. I'll say it for you. <laughs> he, he definitely played really well in his opportunity. So shouts out to Kevin Peterson. Um, another person who I was – I won't say impressed with or anything like that, but I thought he had a few spots where you were just like, oh – and that you mentioned him already as Countess, uh, Blake Countess. Uh he he did try to kill himself <laughs> at one point. But <laughs> he, 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 he tried to kill himself, but overall I thought, you know, he played decent. Uh it wasn't anything to hang your hat on where you looked at Kevin Peterson, you was like, Okay, this kid might have a future. You didn't necessarily say that Countess, but you did see a few things where you're just like, okay, you know, he, he there's tools here to work with, and it was also good to have Cody Davis back. So there are some good things there, but overall the Rams definitely are going to struggle if they ever lose anyone. That is uh, for sure, sure, at least in this postseason. Sure, and the thing is, it's it's one thing when you fill in one backup and the rest of the guys are starters, right? So, you know, I wouldn't be panicking if – Corey Littleton had to come in and we still had the rest of our starting defense with right. Aaron Donald and, you know, Trumaine Johnson and John Johnson and everybody else. It's more when you have Corey Littleton and Kevin Peterson and Isaiah Johnson and Bryce Hager right. and Morgan Fox and everybody on the defensive side is backups. It's just too hard, man. And there's a reason those guys are backups. And when they're going again, I don't even care about the score. I said it at halftime when it was 20 to six, I thought the backups were doing a pretty good job that, you know, all things considered, I mean, if you flip it the other way, if the if the Rams starters were playing the 49ers backups, and the score is only twenty to six at halftime, I'd be a little I'd be a little worried. I'd be a little upset that our starters yeah. were only beating backups twenty to six. Um, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things where I didn't expect much. I thought they did a decent job, and maybe it brings us uh, some additional questions that we can ask in the in the off season when we're talking about some of these guys. If maybe you know, does Blake Countess need to be the primary backup at safety? And if that's the case, how do you manage some decisions for agency and draft around that? But other than that, you know, we we got through it. We didn't get too many injuries. Blake Countess is still alive, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and you move on. You move on to the bigger target, and that's a wild card playoff game against the Atlanta Falcons. Man. It is, and then you have to ask yourself, you know, we we touched on it a little bit last week, but does the week off ultimately affect the starters? Yes, you kept your starters fresh and healthy and, you know, but then, you you know, you look at teams like the Patriots, for example. Tom Brady doesn't take games off, you know. Um, yeah. he, he plays the full slate. <laughs> you know, uh, Belichick does not allow him to take games off. So, you know, you have the old idea of getting guys – fresh and, you know, avoiding the risk of injury. But then you have teams who don't ever have guys sit out. Peyton Manning never set out. You know, Eli, bum-ass, never sits out. You know. Uh, How about it, Atlanta? Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, so it's like you have teams who, who are like, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to try to win this. And the thing with it, the thing about it that bothered me was uh, getting, and I, I real I understand the strategy behind it, 
But to me, the competitive spirit within me is like, no, let's go out here and kick their ass, and let's end this season sure. on the right note, and let's let's lock Ty Gurley in as the MVP, even though he still finished the season as the total yards from scrimmage leader. Uh, he still was able to pull right. that off. Uh, Le- Le'Veon didn't catch him, neither did uh, Kareem Hunt. But, you know, you look at it and you say, well, we could have secured it. Now it's kind of – I think he did enough in the final few weeks where it's kind of 50-50. It can go to either way, to him or Brady. Uh, but you probably could have secured that, locked it away for him. Um, and same thing for Aaron Donald. You could have probably secured him as defensive player of the year. We, we, there's been so much talk about uh, Ty Gurley as MVP. I think it's kind of overshadowed the legitimate possibility that Aaron Donald could finally win that uh, defensive uh, defensive player of the year award. Uh, so it's, it's definitely some things where I look at and I say, yeah, you could have you could have definitely ended the season on a good note. You could have secured some things for some guys, but I also understand the strategy behind it. But as mentioned last week. Is it a possibility that he could have messed up rhythm, you know, thrown guys off, especially the way with the way that Ty Gurley was playing or Jared Goff's last game, you know, seeing the way guys played? Uh, what do you think? Do you think that we could see some rust entering this game? Maybe. I think the thing is almost every team's got to deal with this somehow, some way, right? I mean, the Rams had a bye week during the regular season. They came out and monkey spanked the New York Giants. Every team's got a bye week. Right. Uh, you've got four teams right now that are going to have a bye week in the first round of the playoffs. Those are the f- top two teams in each conference. And outside of the Philadelphia Eagles, I don't think anybody's necessarily, you know, uh, worried or, or thankful that they have to play those other three teams because they're the three probably best teams in the NFL, uh, along with the Philadelphia Eagles had Wentz been healthy. I think the bigger thing is how do you respond to that rhythm disruption, right? Every, everybody's right. going to have to deal with it. Look, last night you had a college football champion or playoffs those guys have been sitting for how how long has it been? Four weeks, three and a half weeks since those guys <laughs> yeah, played. For they a had while. a triple bye week. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> disruption is one of those things that it's uh, it, it is what it is. It disrupts, but you've got to figure out a way to deal with it. And I think that's the, and we've talked about the idea that this is the challenge for Sean McVay, and this is where people get the, the real evaluation takes place. As much as we can say, and deservedly so, Sean McVay is the coach of the year for 2017. They might as well just give him the reward now. But Absolutely. how he how they do from here is how they're going to be judged. Think about the way people talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis, or the way that people used to talk about Peyton Manning as being a regular season statistical champion and not a great postseason quarterback. The, the, what you do after the regular season defines who what your legacy is in the NFL, and for for good reason. This is what it matters most, and so. You know, it's one of those things where if they can deal with the disruption and still be themselves and come out and get a win and keep this moving, it'll just be one of those things that we say maybe it disrupted them, but they figured out how to deal with it, and they use this time and the walkthrough today and kind of, you know, the build-up to practice and the build-up to a Saturday game to be able to figure out how do we deal with getting off of our rhythm versus letting them affect what they're actually going to end up doing on the field on Saturday. So here's my thing. You know, I look at it and I say, yes, you have the possibility of, you know, throwing guys out of their groove, especially when they were really, in my personal opinion, playing their best football of the year on offense, uh, really starting to spread their wings, even on defense. You know, the run defense the past couple of weeks has been the best that we've seen. Um, so you can definitely look at it and say, okay, maybe you did throw off the rhythm. But when you add in the fact that they're playing the Falcons, who I personally think might be the the perfect matchup for them 
uh, of any team in the NFL where you just kind of look at it on paper, uh, the, both teams' strengths and weaknesses match up really well to where you could yeah. I could see uh, I could see it being a real struggle for either team to figure it out. You know, it could be this could be a game where the best coach is going to win. Uh, you know, the players can only do so much if they're not put in the right situations, and when you're just kind of running into stalemates, you know that's that tends to happen. Um, you look at the engine for the Rams' offense; it's Todd Gurley, un- undoubtedly. We, as we mentioned, you know he finished season leading the league in scrimmage yards, and he, he's a, a very, very likely candidate for uh, MVP. But you look at the, you look at who he is, and you look at how do you stop a player like that? Well, it's obviously having really good linebackers with speed and the ability to do multiple things. That's the Falcons. You know, their linebackers have a lot of speed. They they can get in there, feel the run. They they're very physical. Keanu Neal is a safety, but he plays like a linebacker, built like a linebacker. Uh, he can also come down in the box, and they all can cover. Like they all can cover. So you you know, on paper, it would seem that. Um, matchup wise, as far as your strength on offense, Ty Gurley against their strength on defense, that is probably a stalemate because it's like, how do you pull away unless you know the one person just wants it more and just rises above the rest? You whether it's the the their linebacker core or it's Ty Gurley, um, but then you also look at the other side. The Rams have played really well against the pass this year. Julio Jones, freak of nature, <laughs> you know uh, Matt Ryan one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the past two or three years, you know, does the pass game get off? You know, you look at the, um, I mentioned that the last couple of weeks, how well the Rams have played against the run. Well, now you're talking about going against Devontae Freeman, who I love. You know, I loved him at Florida State. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I, I'm a big, I'm big on Florida State. I, I've been a big fan of theirs for a long time. So I'm always, I'm always talking about players from Florida State like McFadden, who you're going to hear me talk about a lot in the coming weeks. But um, I'm always talking about guys from Florida State. And I, I loved watching Devontae Freeman when he was there because of his size and the way he played. He plays so much bigger than what he is, but then he also is legitimately the type of running back you would think of when you look at his size. He's a true scat back that lowers his pads and will run right at you. He, like He's a north-south runner with speed and agility. So it's, it's like you really, really enjoy watching him because he plays with a chip on his shoulder. and He's a really good back. Um, the Rams are going to have to figure out a way to stop him because, like Gurley, he can beat you in so many ways, outside the tackles, inside the tackles, out of the backfield. He'll line up out wide, you know. So it's like they match up so well. And that's when you look at it you say, are the Rams going into the toughest challenge they've had all year? What do you think of that? Overall, yeah. I mean, it, here's the thing. They, they've played top-caliber teams. they played, you know, Philadelphia Eagles, Absolutely. New Orleans Saints, Minnesota Vikings. They've played them, but they haven't played them in these conditions, right? Where you Absolutely. Think about what the score could be at halftime. What, whatever the score is, you, you get, what is it, 20 minutes? You get 20 minutes knowing this is it. Like, th- think about how hyped halftime is going to be whether it's tied, whether we're ahead by a touchdown, or whether they're ahead by a touchdown. I think, I think it's going to be close good by halftime. Yeah. You know that this is it, that this is 30 minutes till the end of the season for one of those teams. That's, that's what makes it the toughest game. It's not the caliber of the opponent. We faced, you know, this caliber opponent multiple times this year. And a couple times we came out as the winning team. We even did so on the road when, we, you know, we went bid the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, but, but even if we had lost that Jaguars game, even though we lost the Minnesota game, even though we lost the Philadelphia game, even if we had lost the Saints game, the season kept going on. And we, we would have been, right. and we ultimately were, fine. 
that's not the case. You don't you don't get to say, hey, let's go do our best in the second half, and we'll get back into it next week and, and see if we can keep this train rolling. This is it, bro. And, I, I mean, I know I mentioned that that's what hit me today, but that's the real difference is that, you know, the, you talk about the, mag, the, the magnitude of the challenge, and it's huge. You got Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. He's a hell of a one-two yeah. punch. Uh, from, from yeah. the rushing attack, a lot of speed. Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Austin Hooper out of, as a tight end, they got a lot of weapons to attack, and like you mentioned, the defense is stacked too. So it, it's, I mean, this is playoff football. That's what it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think Rob Havenstein, um, this is his. This is going to be the game where he either has a coming out party. He's played really well this year. Don't get it twisted. What I'm saying here, he's played really, really well, and. I think that you could have made a case for him as a Pro Bowl alternate or something of the sort. Now that I mention it really quick, sure. one Pro Bowl snub. For, I don't care where you're looking in the NFL, when you're talking offensive line, Roger Saffold should have been a starter in the Pro Bowl, yeah. not just make it the Pro Bowl. He should have been one of the starters, one of the top vote getters. Roger Saffold absolutely killed this season. Didn't allow a single sack, one pressure, I think, on the whole season, like he balled. It was dope in the run game. He was, you know, Ty Gurley had his greatest success running behind Roger Saffold. Let that sink in. He absolutely had a great season. He should have been a starter. But back to Rob Havenstein, back to our regular scheduling program. Real quick, you know, as you was talking there, you kind of sounded like a coach there. You're like, you only got 30 minutes left. This is where you – I got hyped got, up, dude. On, I started feeling you're it. You've working on your coach speak lately. <laughs> you're like, this is it. This next 30 minutes to find the rest of your life. <laughs> you, you were feeling it there, wasn't you? <laughs> I do. And that was the thing. That's what I – right. I'm being sincere. That shit – it hit me today where I was like, this is it, man. But you're right. You know, it, it is. But, however, uh, Rob Haverside, I think this is going to be the chance for him to have like a so coming out party of such because he's going to have his head – with that pass rush yeah. on that side. They're, they're going to get after it, you know, absolutely 100% get after it. You look at the monsters they got coming off the edge, and it's just a constant flow of good rotation that they have coming off the edge. So I'm interested to see how this all shakes out. I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Um, what's going to be some, you know, we, we talk about Gurley versus their backers, and um, my guess is True is probably going to mirror Julio, you know, um, you, you talk about Devontae yeah. Freeman versus our backers. Alex, Free, uh, Alex uh, Ogletree is going to have to make tackles. He cannot miss tackles because this is one of the hardest people in the NFL to tackle. You know, so if regular good tackle, tacklers are missing tackles, you can't afford to be a bad tackler <laughs> because he's going to break a lot of runs in. You know, he, he's one of the hardest people to tackle. His elusive rating is always one of the best in the league. You know, so you look at all the matchups. What are what are some of the key matchups that you're looking forward to in this game? Like, what's the must-watch football in this game? I think that, to me, the the biggest thing is keeping the pressure off of Jared Goff early, right? I, I think if yeah. if, if, Falcons, if the Falcons' pass rush starts to eat, I think it's just going to disrupt so much in the game, and it's going to throw off the rhythm. And like you mentioned, the idea of Jerry Goff having a bye week this week, if if he goes in there and things are struggling in a passing game, and we know how much McVeigh likes to lean into that passing game, and people are begging him to run it, and he keeps passing because that's that's just who he is, and that's the style he likes for this team this year. I think that could have one of those you know ripple effects throughout the entire game plan 
where it just throws everything off. And absolutely, you know, when you're in the playoffs, everybody's a good team, and we're facing a good team, and you just don't have a lot of wiggle room. And if you get thrown off, and you have a three and out or two three and outs, and all of a sudden you're giving them field position and they're putting points together, whether it's touchdowns or field goals, you get behind the curve real quick against teams like this. And, uh, you know, we just can't afford to do it. Luckily we've got, you know, a couple performances where Philadelphia, it was toe to toe. And, you know, that one was a shootout and we just didn't get on the better side of things late in the game. You had a new Orleans game where it was somewhat similar and we were able to hold them off defensively. And then you had a Minnesota game where both teams were really fighting through some ugly football for a while. And, you know, with some cornerback injuries, you did what you just said you can't afford to do. You can't miss tackles. And Dominique Hatfield missed a crucial tackle on Adam Thielen on a blitz that, you know, he was assigned one-on-one without any help. And you can't do that, whether it's Adam Thielen or Julio Jones or insert your playoff caliber position guys here. You know, the Julio Joneses of the world, the Aaron Donalds of the world, they eat whether or not you make mistakes. If you go make a mistake and make it even easier, that's a, that's a good night. And, you know, there's just no wiggle room for error right now. And that's uh, that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it pressure-packed is knowing that uh, you can't – this isn't the weekend to make errors. So, uh, big, yeah. biggest one for me is the pass rush. Is there one you're thinking of? You know, you, you're, you're 100% right about the pass rush. You look at guys like – Vic Beasley and Adrian Claiborne, uh, and um, yeah. who am I forgetting here? Uh, up Courtney Upshaw. Courtney Upshaw. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, these guys are getting after the quarterback. They, they've been getting after him all year. Um, and I think when you really take those things into consideration, it's a scary thought of what they could do if they get rolling. Um, it's been hard to contain them all year. You know, it's not containing one of them. It's containing all of them in the same game. That's been hard. Uh, where it's to the point that when when teams play them, you're almost thinking like if this guy gets going just a little bit, this whole game could get wrecked because it's like a floodgate. When yeah. one guy gets going, yeah. you know it, it's it's hard to it opens the it's whole really thing hard up. to co- exactly. So you, uh, when you think about that, you start to you start to get a little nervous about how how they're going to be able to handle certain things. And I, we didn't even mention uh, Tack McKinley, you know, the rookie. You know, so yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're really set. Um, they're really set with their pass rush. But for me, uh, I do look at the uh, keeping Jerry Goff off the ground. But for me, I have to look at uh, the receivers for the Rams. I think that the the Falcons secondary is so ridiculously underrated. They don't get talked about enough. You know, with guys like Desmond Trufant, who I think is one of the best quarters in the league, um, Ken O'Neill, who I mentioned before, you know, they have a really, really, really good secondary. I want to see if Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, guys like that, are going to be able to find a way to get open. Um, they're they're going to have to figure it out uh, against the secondary because – and Jerry Goff is going to have to be sharp. You know, mistakes are not going to be allowed when you look at how much speed they have on defense. If you throw a pick, there's a good chance they're going to take it back. <laughs> you know, they're good. They're really, really good. They're fast. You know, if you if you throw a pick and they're they have any green, they're hitting it. You know, looking you look at guys like Deion Jones, the linebacker. I mean, Deion Jones is really, really fast and he's really, really good. And, Watching him line up on Gurley is going to be interesting. So I'm really looking at the Rams' uh, passing attack and against that secondary. I think that uh, it's going to be extremely vital to the uh, Rams having success. 
but like you, I, I do think that the Rams need to make sure they try to keep that balance because that balance is going to open up that opportunity for the pass a little bit more. But watching these guys at one-on-ones against that secondary, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, maybe he finally shows up and has his big game of the year. You know, uh, it'd be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But at the same time, like you said, you don't want to get away from the run to make it happen if it's not happening as fast as you want it to. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it, um, how the Rams are able to game plan and sneak out their way to get up field using the, you know, sure. passing the ball. Might, they, they might have to nickel and dime it. It might have to be five yards here, six yards here, you know, real old school Tom Brady like to make it work. Um, but that kind of leads me into uh, my next question is, can Jared Goff take over a game in the postseason? He's had some good games. Uh. We haven't seen him really – you know, I'll use an example. Of course, whatever you say this name, this is always an extreme example. But Tom Brady, you watch him against the Steelers and that final drive or his final possession um, where he just ate them alive and he's just drilling passes to Rob Gronkowski. You watched him literally – take over a game, you know, where, okay, we need a score right now, got to make it happen, and it's like the green light just goes on where he can't miss. We haven't seen that from Jerry Goff yet. We've seen everything from this Rams team, close games, special teams, blowout, every comeback, everything except for that. We have not seen Jerry Goff just completely take over a game, and I feel like to continue to advance in this postseason – we're going to have to see that at some point. Do you think that it can happen? Not can it happen. Will it happen? So you made it harder. You, you left it open. I had a nice, easy answer. Yeah, it can happen. No, oh, will it I happen? know you. Thanks. I know you. I had to hear it, but yeah. switch that real quick. <laughs> no cop-outs. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. If that's what it requires, we all sure as hell hope it happens. The, the problem is it hasn't happened yet. Right. It, it would be a yeah. lot more comfortable to say that, yes, he can do that. If he had done it when he had some soft audition chances, you know, to this point in his career, obviously almost all of them come in this year. Um, yeah, the answer is, can it? Yes. Will it? Oh, man, that's so hard. Right. It's one of the, I'd love to see it happen. Um, but it's it's one of those things where it's just hard to feel comfortable until it happens. And the thing that sucks is now you're talking about a playoff situation, right? If you were asking me like week yeah. five, will it happen? Yeah, sure. Great. Cause who cares? It's week five. We lose this. We come back and win the next three out of the next four. We'll be fine. Yeah. And we can win it on the strength of all these other units. That's not the case. It, it could very well be the fact that the Rams are down four and they get the ball with three minutes left and Jared Goff has to go win a damn playoff game. Will that happen? Uh, that's tough. I, I mean, I, it, you know, you know that I like to bitch out on these kind of questions, so I got to do it again. Oh, I here's, know. You here's do. the one thing. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Here's the, here's the one thing I, I will say is that the games like this define people more than their regular season. So, you know, it, it, if he's if Jared Goff hasn't done it to this point in his career, which he hasn't, and he does marshal a fourth quarter comeback, a game winning drive. That defines him immediately more so than everything that preceded it. Immediately, he becomes the guy that can do that when you need it most, right? Because that's just the way it works. If, if Sammy Watkins has a huge game, 
it immediately overrules everything else he did in the regular season because that's just uh, how it works. Similarly, <laughs> but, he, but here's the thing: it, the, the flip side works Jerry too. Goff. I'm not giving it to you for watching. <laughs> that's just the way See, it works. Jerry Goff sure the has had good games. At least Jerry Goff has had good games. <laughs> Watkins has been pretty trash for the most part. If, yeah, if, if Sammy Watkins wins game, a playoff like game, a that overrules it. But here's the yeah. other thing: the flip side works too. Cooper Cup might be everybody's favorite for, and he's done this a couple times. If Cooper Cup drops the big pass at the end of the game, that overrules all the good work that he's done this season. If John Johnson makes a mistake late in the game, that overrules one of the most underrated rookie seasons we've seen from a Ram in a long time. Everything's magnified, man. Everything. Everything you know, you that's where legends are made. Joe Flacco became a hundred yep. million dollar quarterback because yep. of his yep. play in one postseason. You know, everything one. is back to fly. You know, Eli Manning is looked at as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I've never thought that. You know, I don't see how somebody with fifty nine percent completion rate for his career and all those damn interceptions and fumbles because of the postseason. There's been because of the postseason. That's it. There's been, there's been multiple times in his career where he threw over 20 interceptions in a season. How the hell is he viewed as one of the best? But because of two good postseasons, he's viewed as one That's of it. the best. So it's always magnified. Things are magnified too much to some degree. Um, sometimes um, Exhibit A will be an Eli Manning or a Joe Flacco where, you know, you, you see the way that they're rewarded with their postseason success. Uh, so, yeah, I agree, you know, if, if a player was to struggle or – you know, make a glaring mistake in the postseason. You you go back to Lee Evans, for example, with the Ravens. Uh, what was that, 2012? And they're playing the Patriots. They have them on the hook. It's the AFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl, and uh, there's only like 10 seconds left. Flacco hits Lee Evans in the corner. He catches it in the end zone, then he drops it. <laughs> he let the he let the defensive back get his hand there, and knock it out literally right before the whistle was blown for a touchdown. And the whole stadium was deflated. It was just like, whoa, you know. Those are, Lee Evans was never the same again. You know, and Lee Evans wasn't even on the roster next year. And, in fact, Lee Evans proved That's the way it works. After that. <laughs> you know, and, that was, and it was because of the magnitude of the game. You're in the AFC Championship against a heated rival at the time against the Patriots, you know, um, and you let this slip away. Uh, so and now, of course, the next year the Ravens the Ravens went on to win the Super Bowl the the very next year. But it's like they could have gone to the Super Bowl that year and possibly had back to back Super Bowl appearances. But that one drop, which I have to say was a, an amazing throw by Joe Flacco. By the way, he threaded the needle, hit him on the back quarter of the end zone, like it was great. Yeah. But it was a drop, and those things stand think- out more. They do, and there's. There, uh, let me try to make four quick points. Number one, oh, you, it, it's hard not to tie the idea of Lee Evans dropping that ball, cutting him, and them winning the Super Bowl the next year not being related. Right? That yeah. that that was the that that was what they had to exercise. They had to get that drop to get over it and grow from it. Right? Number yeah. two. That was Joe Flacco. The, the season that they won the Super Bowl was Joe Flacco's fifth year. So it's kind of hard. Jared Goff has only had one full season as a starter. Sean McVay has yet to co- they have yet to play in a single playoff game. Can they become those kind of guys or better in terms of John Harbaugh, Joe Flacco, or whatever they're going to become in their careers? We'll see. 
but this is the first time they've done it. So suggesting they will is different. What, what was funny was, as you mentioned, the idea of Lee Evans, take the flip side. And I, I mentioned the idea of Sammy Watkins balls out. That validates his entire season. If Sammy Watkins drops a ball to win the game in the end zone, it's over. You can't discuss re-signing him. You can't, you can't do it, right? If he, if he has that big play where he messes up near the end of the game, he is no longer a Los Angeles Ram. That's just the way it works. And, and, and yeah. in terms of legacy defining, I should have brought it up when we said it. Think about what happened last night in, in the Georgia-Oklahoma game. For all his individual accolades, Baker Mayfield's legacy is now cemented. And that, that's just yeah. the way these things work, man. And it, you, you immediately have to move on. Lucky for Baker Mayfield – you know, he's going to the NFL. His career was already over. But for a guy like Sammy Watkins, or uh, you, you take your pick. If they make a mistake on Saturday that, that we can point to to say this mistake might have decided the game, you have, you've either got to release him or you've got to figure out how you, do, how you make a 180 from that for 2018 because that defines everything about this team for the rest of the offseason. Perfect example would be if we see another week five, last minute of the game, last – 15 seconds of the game, Cooper Cup dropping the end zone to win it. That's it. That changes everything. You know, Cooper Cup, yeah, you know, he had a good season. Um, He dropped a lot of passes, though, during the season. Like, I think more than most people expected, you know, out of Cooper Cup. One thing thing about me is that uh, I was actually thinking about this the other day is I like to look at the big picture of what could have been. You know, uh, like, what could this player have done with this type of opportunity? I look at Cooper Cup, and I look at the opportunities that he had with the way they fed him the ball this season. Like, they threw him the ball a lot, you know, and he didn't always catch it. He dropped some passes, you know. He looked like a rookie sometimes. And then he made some really clutch catches and some good uh, uh, plays, and, you know, he fought for some extra yardage. He had the, the, the go-ahead touchdown against the Titans that ultimately was a winning touchdown. Uh, where he, you know, he he hurt his knee for the play, but you look at all these things, and then I look at what if Sammy Watkins or Tavon Austin or Mike Thomas, you know, some guys with some legitimate like speed and athletic ability, what if those guys was forced to hit the ball like that? And mm-hmm. I say that because I look at his his total output of of production. You know, and you know, having 800 yards and all this stuff, and, and then I say, if this is one of those guys, these are 12, 1100 yard seasons because so many times Cooper Cup breaks loose and gets caught from behind because he he doesn't have the ability to pull away. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you I'm looking at those things. I'm just like so many times where uh, Cooper Cup, you know, he catches this ball. But when he catches the receivers all over him because he couldn't, or the quarters all over him because he couldn't quite create that type of ratio because he he wasn't quick enough out of his cut, you know. There was a lot of things that were that kind of stood out to me. I was just sitting there thinking about the other day, and I was just like, man, Cooper Cup is the true possession receiver in every sense of the word, you know. Uh, he he's he he is what he is, and I was only thinking about it because I was looking at Keenan Allen who was someone that I – later on in the, uh, this past offseason that I compared Cooper Cup to, I, I often compared her to Pierre Garçon. But then as I kind of really thought about it, I was like, you know, he probably is more – because Pierre Garçon has some ability to break the game open, you know, with some big plays. Cooper Cup doesn't have any. And um, I started comparing him to Keenan Allen, and I said, you know what, Keenan Allen is Cooper Cup. When Cooper Cup came into the league, they're almost identical – uh, Keenan Allen was someone they had to force feed the ball for his production, you know. But 
now, four or five years down the line, Keenan Allen is a better player, you know. So I, th- that was kind of the whole point that I was thinking of is, you know, what is Cooper Cup's future? You know, if they continue to feed him the ball like this and he does get better physically and things like that, the difference is Cooper Cup is a lot older than Keenan Allen was as a rookie. You know, King, Cooper Cup sure. is 24. But, um, so he's kind of already in his prime, at his peak. But if he can get a little bit better, I think Cooper Cup, you know, the future might be bright for him. But, again, like you said, we're going to see how it goes for him this year. It's going to be interesting to see how he performs in the postseason. He's going to be needed. <laughs> Everyone's going to be needed. Robert Woods definitely going to be needed. Cooper Cup, Sammy Watkins, um, Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby had a really good year, by the way. Before we get on to college football, I want to highlight this. I meant to highlight this. Yeah. I, I meant to highlight this last week, um, but it, it slipped my mind. Really quick, before we get to college football, uh, Tyler Higby had a really good year, and I think that it needs to be recognized. Uh, And I think people get blinded sometimes by the overall stats, uh, the the stuff that show up in the the scoreboard. There was a lot of things that Tyler Higby did that went unnoticed. Like, you saw a lot of great blocks. I can literally pull out the tape right now and point to – about 10 or 12 really good runs or screenplays to Todd Gurley where Tyler Higby is downfield whooping somebody's ass. Like, I mean, absolutely taking them out. There was one key third down against the Seahawks where Earl Thomas came flying over the top like he always do, like a damn missile. And who comes and steps in front of that missile and blows Earl Thomas up? I don't mean he just stepped in front and took the hit or blocked him or nothing like that. No, he laid Earl Thomas the hell out, and it was Tyler Higby, and it sprung Tyler Gurley for the third down. My point is not everything is going to show up in the scoreboard, you know, or it's going to be some stat that's going to get you a lot of recognition or in the Pro Bowl or things like that. But Tyler Higby really had a good season. He Not just with the blocking, but he had some really big catches where, you know, you go back, you look at the, the Seahawks game, that catch that he made to even set uh, two catches back-to-back, actually, but to set Cooper Cup up for the opportunity to even make that play, it was it was amazing, especially when you look at how well uh, Tyler Higby was after the catch. He didn't very rarely went down on first contact. Tyler Higby had a really good year. He didn't get the ball thrown his way that I think people expected because he's a tight end, and I wish people would stop saying that, you know, the, 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 the Redskins offense or the Rams offense are so similar because they're not. The Shabbat Bay did not bring the same offense to L.A. that they had in Washington. This was an offense focused on two things, um, throwing the ball to the running back out of the backfield, running zone plays when running the ball, and then getting the ball to the slot. That's what the focus was. It was not the tight end. It was not just two tight end formations. It was none of the stuff that people expected. There wasn't nearly as much shotgun as they ran in, in Washington. It was It was just a completely different offense, but – Either way, Tyler Higby had a great year. Just want to make sure I point that out. Joe, what do you have for us for college football? Oh, man. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where he, the, 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 the number one thing that was important to me to remember last night was that Alabama football is Alabama football is Alabama football. And for all the hand-wringing we can do about the process and which teams get in and who's good at what and which teams represent which style, Bama football is Bama football is Bama football, man. And, and 
you know, as much as the roster may not be what it's been in recent years and recruiting is not the, you know, the effort of supremacy that it was two, three, four, five years ago when they were just whooping everybody's tails in terms of recruiting, they're still Bama football. And it's just one of those things that's hard to get away from. And, and this year was a bit different because Clemson, even though they were number one, they were not the team that they were the last two years with Deshaun Watson there. They were a really, really, really young team. They had, they had the least seniors out of any of the four teams in the playoffs. They had a ton of speed, but not a ton of experience. And as good as the defensive front was, they just didn't have yeah. a ton of experience and certainly not this kind of experience, even though they were there last year. I think the difference was they had such a young team that in a situation like this, especially on offense for Clemson's offense, I'm talking about Alabama's defense had the most dominant performance maybe of the year uh, of, of any big game. Yeah. And absolutely. I think that that that's dominated fair. the discussion for me. And I think that's where to start when we start thinking about the national championship between Georgia's offense and Alabama's defense is to talk about Alabama's defense. It's not even talent, man. It's just technical. It's just technically they're so, so, so sound. Even without great cornerbacks, they're just so sound. Yeah, you know, I I definitely agree with you as far as the performance they had against Clemson because Clemson is really, really, really a good team. Yes, they're young, but that performance to to have that type of performance against Clemson I thought was really good. Um, Clemson, I think, if anything, more than Alabama still being Alabama, because I'm still I'm still skeptical to say that. I just don't see the same Alabama that we saw for a uh, four, four about a four year they're stretch not. there. Yeah, they're I not. don't see that same Alabama. I think more than anything, what we saw was Clemson's defense carried this team all year, and when all they year, came up, sure. and when and when that when the offense came up against someone that was just good enough to hold them back. Making it a game, the defense could not stay on the field. It's similar to how the Rams' defense was in years past, where the offense wasn't moving the ball. The defense was really good; everyone could see it. But they were on the field so much, it was like it didn't really matter. And I think that was kind of what happens with happened with Clemson's uh, defense this past uh, week or yesterday, this past weekend. Um, I think they was just they couldn't. The offense couldn't do anything for Clemson, and it was putting the defense in tough spots. And because of that, we saw defense get worn out, and the, um, Alabama ultimately was able to beat them pretty good. Uh, looking at the Georgia game, <laughs> uh, that, was know, you earlier, that was just fun. That was just fun. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned earlier Baker Mayfield, you know, kind of his legacy being cemented. But, man, what a game to go out on. <laughs> he lost, but. It was that was that was quite the game, you know. Watching that game, um, even with the trick play where they where Seeley uh, throws the ball sure. to uh, Baker Mayfield, like it was yeah. it was pulling out all the stops, you know. And you look at Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. You go back to the Auburn game where they combined for like less than fifty yards. I think they combined for like forty eight yards or something like that. Two of the top backs in the country, okay combined for like 48 yards against Auburn where they lost. Um, and then you look at what they did yesterday and you say, this is the duo that everyone expects every week. Because when that duo plays like that, I don't care who they're playing, whether it's Clemson's defense, Alabama, does not matter. They will beat anyone. <laughs> and it's just that simple. You know, you look at that, man, it was, it was, it's definitely a joy to watch that, uh, that type of performance from your backfield 
where they're just feeling it. You know, and I I get it. It's against Oklahoma's defense, but Oklahoma's defense are not to have two backs run like that. It's not like Oklahoma is doesn't have any top recruits on their defense, you know. Sure. So it's not like they're it's not like they're just flat out scrubs, you know. To have two backs run like that, and this isn't the first time we see that. We see them do this against other SEC teams, so we can't just look at it and say, "Oh, Oklahoma has that soft Big Twelve defense." Everyone talks about that's not the case. They've done this a lot this year, but it was just the like you said, the postseason, how everything is magnified. To see them do it like that on that stage in that game, it was beautiful. I loved it. And, you know, when they're clicking like that, they'll beat anyone. They'll absolutely beat anyone. It's it's one of those things where, like, as good – here's the thing. As good as the offense was and as good as, the, you know, Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb were, they went to double overtime, dog. I, Oklahoma didn't win this game. And, yeah. and their offense was not too – Rodney Anderson ran for 200 yards. It's, uh, yeah. That one was fun. That one was a lot more fun because that one was the kind where you just don't get that in the NFL. That's college football. That's part of what makes college football so fun is these crazy-ass games when crazy-ass football is going down. Then you get Clemson-Alabama. That's an NFL football game. That's a football game. Like, people are playing football. I don't know what this Georgia-Oklahoma game. That game was nuts. It was just fun from beginning to end. You had to, Think about this. Think about the kickoff before the end of the first half. What the hell is that? What is a, a squib onside kick to set up a field goal? Can you imagine how angry you would be? Imagine the Rams score with nine seconds left in the half, and, and, and they can bring out Sam Ficken, and he kicks the ball five yards or ten yards or whatever, and Atlanta gets a field goal before the end of the half. Again, against the Rams, I'd be freaking out. In this game – both teams were okay with it because it didn't matter. It was just crazy. It was meant to be crazy, and it was that kind of game. It was a hell of a lot of fun, man. It was. It was a lot of fun, and I'm definitely looking forward to this national championship game. Real quick, yeah. just give me your name. Who do you got, Alabama or Georgia? Do not say you don't know and take your cop out. Give me a name. <laughs> we demanded the name. The people want to know, yeah. Joe, who do you got? So I'm I'm going to take Alabama for two reasons. Number one, Jake Fromm's a freshman. As good as he is, remember that he was the backup to start the season for Georgia. Uh, they're going to have. By the way, Georgia, Georgia's going to Georgia's going to have a three-way QB battle next year. As good as yeah, they, they are, are, and as good as that position is, they Someone's got three quarterbacks in. coming in. It's Someone's going to transfer. Um, I, I just I don't see it happening. Someone has to transfer. It, 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 yeah, I would I would hope that Kirby lets whichever one that he knows has no chance. I hope that he tells them, "Hey, I, you're not getting this. You might as well transfer because that's that's the yeah. best thing for whoever's QB three involved is to get the hell out of there. Because if you're Jake Fromm and you're the backup, this year showed you can get a chance and you can be the hero. Uh, it, it happened not too long ago for Ohio State when JT Barrett went down and Cardale Jones hey. got the call uh, for a nat- – you hey, know what I'm saying? Look at Baker Mayfield. But, <laughs> look at Baker Mayfield. Look, look so, at Baker those Mayfield. Those things can happen. But if, walk on. If, yeah, if you're QB3, and especially going into the year, as good as all three of them are, uh, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, and then uh, Fields, the new cat that they got coming in, it's one of those things where I hope they let him go. So, uh, number one – Jake Fromm's a freshman. As good as he played against uh, Oklahoma's defense, Alabama's a beast of another character. I'm going to take that number one. Number two, Alabama has the best football player on the field. That's Minka Fitzpatrick. Clemson avoided him because they didn't want to deal with him all last night. Yeah. And instead they dealt with everybody else. 
I don't know that Georgia is going to be afraid to deal with him. I, if you're going against Minka Fitzpatrick, I'm going to bet on him every damn time. Every damn time. I'm he on is I don't care. so ridiculously good. <laughs> I loved watching him as a freshman. They use him at corner more as a freshman. They use him at safety more now. But that just speaks to his versatility. Uh, I like him a lot. And he is, you know, if he enters the draft, and I think he will, because I think it's going to be hard for him to pass up the possibility of being a top ten pick. Uh, if he enters the draft, I definitely see him being off the board in that top ten, you know, and I wouldn't be shocked to see somebody snatch him up in the top five. He's really, really good. So I agree with you there on that yeah, part. But, be. however, I'm taking Georgia because because Georgia's ability to keep the ball away from Alabama, I think, will prevail because Alabama, I think they're just – their run defense is overrated. I really do think that. Plus, Jalen Hurts is not that good. <laughs> I think Roquan well, – Here's what I was going to throw you. They messing with him. <laughs> yeah. Here's my third factor. It's that Jalen Hurts isn't a great quarterback as a passer, and Jalen Hurts isn't a great runner as a quarterback, but he's a really, really smart runner as a quarterback. And, that, and, and that's the kind of thing that you – that's the whole reason Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback at Alabama, right? He can throw 120 yards, which he did last night, and win a football game, not because his 120 yards matters, but because his 11 rushes matter. He knows when to take off and get a first down, and let Alabama be Alabama and churn clock with everybody else. And he's the perfect guy for this system that can add something on the ground. It's, a, it's not that he's a great quarterback. He's really not. And he doesn't make throws that really impress you. But you know what he does that impresses you? Third and four, and he gets a first down with his feet. That, and I get it. That's not the most impressive play third, to convert a third and four with a five-yard run. But you know who loves that? Nick Saban. Nick Saban loves Absolutely. converting third and four. Loves it. Absolutely. So real quick, before we get out of here, I, I just want you to tell me yes or no, okay? Just yes or no. Cool? With the 15 finalists. This is the theme tonight. This is your theme tonight is making me answer questions you know I do not want to answer. Hell yes. This is bit, Hell yes. This is a new year. No, it's a new year. We're getting the shit out of you. <laughs> it's, it's a new year. We're not we leaving that shit in 2017. <laughs> no more context. So look, the the 15 uh, Hall of Fame finalists has just been named. There's three receivers that's on the list. Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, <laughs> Isaac Bruce. Does Isaac Bruce get in, yes or no? Uh, the answer is no, and the answer should be yes. But he should have been in by now. Um, you know, if you're asking me who the voters are going to vote for, they're going to vote for Randy Moss and Terrell Owens before they vote for Isaac Bruce. And it's unfortunate. Isaac Bruce has a Hall of Fame resume. That, to me, is Absolutely. undeniable. And uh, it's, you ask it, me, they I, all were the, all three were first ballot Hall of Famers, if you ask me. But that's just they me. should be. <laughs> they should However, be. However, I will that, say this. I, think I will say this. I, if I'm gonna say yes to Isaac Bruce, it's for this reason and this reason only. You look at the way that they've done Terrell Owens, who I think personally is the second best wide receiver of all time. And coincidentally, it has nothing to do with um, favoritism. I actually think Isaac Bruce is the third best. I've got Randy Moss as the fourth. Obviously, Jerry Rice number one. But Isaac Bruce was just so ridiculously smooth. And you look at what he did in his second season of the NFL, 1,800 yards receiving with scrub quarterback play. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> you know, he had some years there where he had Tony Banks throwing to him, you know. So, uh, Isaac Bruce is definitely my number three all time. You look at where he fi- finished his career on the, the numbers. However, if I'm to say Isaac Bruce gets in over those two, it's because you look at the way that the media has done with Terrell Owens. 
uh, with the way they didn't like him, his character, as they would sure. say. Uh, sure. And then you look at Randy Boss coming in first. This is his first uh, year on the ballot. They could possibly do the same thing. Isaac Bruce was loved by the media. So if they were to yeah. put Isaac Bruce in, it would be because they just don't want to put the other two guys in, and they love Isaac Bruce. So I won't rule it out. However, I do think that this is the year they finally quit being petty and let Terrell Owens in because it's become a big enough deal. But I wouldn't be shocked to see yeah. them both get in. Uh, but I don't think Randy Moss gets in on the first ballot. So I think there is probably a 30% chance that uh, Isaac Bruce gets in. But we will see. It's going to be interesting. Nope. Something to make sure we keep watching uh, in the upcoming months. Um, with that being said, though, make sure we keep watching the, the upcoming week. Rams, Falcons, they play Saturday, okay? Do not forget, they play Saturday. Saturday night, they're the second game of the day. The AFC plays first in the uh, playoffs. Make sure that you tune in. <laughs> I think it's going to be a hell of a game. As this is going to be one of the best matchups. Uh, make sure you're following the site at Turf Showtimes. Uh, follow myself at Mighty or Bison, as well as follow Joe at 3K underscore. That'll be a good week. We look, we're hoping that next week when we talk, we're going to be talking about getting ready to play the Vikings and get some revenge. It should be an interesting, interesting week. Uh, stay tuned for a possibility of us chatting with the, the folks from over at the Atlanta site, too, as well, later this week. So we got a lot of stuff going on. That's <laughs> all so we got this week, though. We'll holler at you next week. We out.
here, I'm a puppet eyed man. If Eric can't get it, I will and I can. I'm strong as it comes, but I've got a brain. And stopping me is like stopping a train. I'm Carl Lee, the general of the D. I make the calls, I'm the coaching LB. The smartest I can hit has got style and class. If you come my way, I'll knock you on your Today is your name's intimidated. I pass it my way, I'll see you later. The quicker on my team, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The ice man coming, the roar is the name. I cover the corner, interception's my game. Score more than anybody else on the D, cause I move like a cat as you will see. I'm the Ram Top Gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweetness and the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, you want to bring anyone. But enough about me. We're here to ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. Falcons suck. I don't even have an Easter egg. They just suck. I want to win this game. Please win this fucking game. Please. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.